those that if you can to grow yourself in the Lord. We have also the share for the harvest for food pantry that we give to. It's in your lobby, in our lobby on the shelving. And then also the change for the babies to, for families that can't afford items for their baby or new babies. He maketh me to lie down beside the still waters. Let's worship God and sing in Christ alone. Please stand. Oh, wait a minute. Steve, you want to read that for us? I'm sorry. I'm a little ahead of myself. In Christ Alone is perhaps the newest of Christian hymns, having been written in 2000 by Keith Getty and Stuart County. When asked what inspired the song, Keith Getty said, I knew I wanted to tell the gospel story in one song, and I've been working on a particular melody associated with this idea for some time. Stuart counted 10 the incredible lyric, which outlines the gospel message. He went on to say, I believe the lyrics of In Christ Alone succinctly express theological truths about the life, death, and saving power of Christ through his sacrificial death on the cross. Thank you. shares the prayer of confession with us, which is bidding. Good morning. Our prayer for confession this morning will be the bidding style. I'll, I'll read the line and I'll pause and give everybody a chance to search their hearts to see how it pertains to them. Lord God, we come before you in confession. We confess our lack of enthusiasm for spiritual matters. for our unconcern for those we know who don't know Christ. For the apathy we have to families that are being broken. For the helpless feelings we have about the world. Sovereign God, help us to trust you more and through the power of Christ make a difference. Amen. 
Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Our guidelines for living this morning is also from 1 Peter 1, verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's continue in our worship as we sing our praise choruses, and let's stand together. On the highest of heights to the depths of the sea. Sing to 
I will receive our morning tithes and our morning offerings. Steve, you want to? Take Time to Be Holy dates back to 1882. The lyrics were written by William G. Longstaff. The music was composed by George C. Stevens in 1890. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 is the scriptural basis for the song. As a warning against refusing God, the author wrote, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile men. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for the privilege that we have as Americans to live in this great country, for the blessings you shower us with every day, for the wonderful hope we have for our future and eternity with you. And Father, we praise you for this time that we can set it apart for you and be with you. And as we give these gifts, Lord, bless these, those who give these gifts for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we come to you, and we ask you, Father God, for a blessing on our service today, for the opportunities we have to grow in you, and we pray especially for the message. Father, we come to you, too, with our concerns for our world. We think of those who are in the Ukraine that are running for their lives, and for those that are fighting the formidable army of Russia, Lord, that you'll give them the strength and the ability. And I pray, Father, you'll take out Putin. And that, Lord, um, uh, that you'll do a fine work in all of this, Lord, and that uh, victory can come to the Ukrainian people. We pray also, too, for our leadership as they deal with that and many other hot spots with China and Taiwan and also with the Koreans and also Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and many other places that we don't even know, Father God. We just lay that all before you. I want to pray, Lord, especially for uh, the Johnson family who lost all their uh, family belongings and their home in that wildfire. Just be with them as uh, Bev and Roar as they go through that. And um, I pray also, too, for Gail and his melanoma and for healing for it and that no more uh, pops up. 
I pray also too for thank you for families. I thank you, James. Thanks for your family and for also too for Scott and Mindy as they're going through Mandy that they're going through stuff right now in their marriage. I pray for um, also uh, uh, son uh, that are um, challenged and the graces that they had. I pray for a court case, Lord, and also for a daughter, Lord, it was such a blessing. I pray also too, Father God, for those who are going through sickness in their life. I pray for Lucille and for Kay and for Howard. I pray also too, Father God, um, for uh, Don, who was here today and he had a surgery on his hip and is doing very well. I pray also for Billy, who's fully back to normal now after his uh, bypasses, Father. We just give you praise for that. And we pray also, too, for those that we know that are addicted, those who are going through difficulty times right now, for a friend that's trying to get a job after a long haul of that. I pray he can stay true and that he'll do well. I pray for Ryan and for Jordan and for David and for uh, Eric and Ricky and also Matthew, as he also is battling cancer. And <clears throat> Father, too, I pray for travel and mercies for my wife as she comes home today, that you'll have a real good time and refresh her, Lord. And Father God, we want to lift up other things that we know in our world that are going to be very difficult things. Uh, we pray, especially, too, as we move towards changing our denomination, that things will go smoothly. We pray also, too, for the inspection we're having with the fire department right now, and that that will go smoothly and everything can pass. And we thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you've given to us, Lord Jesus. And now, Father God, as we come to you in your word, uh, speak to us, because we need to hear what you have to say in your word. And sometimes it can stick us real well, and we need it sometimes, Lord, and sometimes it can encourage us. So, Lord, speak through your word today to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Arctic polar bear does his best fishing near the edge of the waters where he can see the seals who are out and about. And usually the seals have holes in the ice so they can do their fishing. And they look for schools of fish that go by and when they see them or hear them, they dive into the water to grab them. Well, the polar bear also has a steady diet of seal. And what he does is he looks for seals that are around those holes and he'll find a place in the ice further down the road and he'll jump in and hold his breath and he'll wait right outside that hole and he'll scratch the surface of the ice from the bottom underneath the water. And they, the seals think that it's fish. And when they dive in, they become supper for the polar bear. Well, that deception happens and we've been deceived many times. We see our world being deceived. Deception is all around us. And oftentimes we have to realize that that's what Satan does to us. He tries to pull us away from God. He tries to break apart our marriages. He tries to destroy the family. He tries to destroy order in our society. We're seeing that right now. Shoplifting is out of control. We're seeing murder rates and we're seeing suicide rates. And it's all the deception that he tries to pull people apart and break them apart and destroy them. And the Bible speaks to us today very strongly about this, but also about the things that we do sometimes that cause us problems and fall into it. You know, it's interesting that you ever hear the saying, watch out when things are going really good. The two greatest spots to be tempted is when things are really going great and success is there and things are not going great. And that's when we're both tempted very strongly at the opposite sides of that. And Israel was in danger right now with Joshua because what had happened is they won two military conquests. They were doing good, but it's so easy to become complacent and let yourself, let your guard down and find yourself into something that you didn't want. And today we find that's what happens. The Bible here tells us today that there were several, five kings that were after Joshua. It said, now it came about that all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and on the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. 
And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftily and set out on envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended. Now what is happening here is Joshua is going to be facing possibly five kings at once trying to overcome him. And what we find here is that as we're they're going along, there's a group called Jebusites who are also called Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites are scared to death that Joshua has this thing called God behind him, and they're afraid that they're going to get overrun, even if they're with the five kings. And so what they do is they make a plan. And what they try to do is they're going to deceive Joshua into making a covenant with them. And that with that treaty... They're going to be given peace from the Israelites and from their God. And why at Mount Ebal and Mount Gizerom, as they were just finishing up after Ai, these Gideonites were already planning. And what had they had done is they were planning to deceive Joshua. And they were going to say to them that we're not from around this area. We're from another country. And they also said that they had clothing and food that showed them that they had been wandering for a long time. And they had no provisions. And they also said part of the deception was, I'm getting too loud here, I think. I better back up a little bit. But unlike Rahab and her, the family uh, didn't have faith in God. They were just scared to death. And so here they were, they said they were an envoy to get peace with the Israelites. And we see here that what they're doing is they're lying through their teeth to Joshua. To get his covenant with him so that they wouldn't fight him because they were so afraid of him. And what we find here is they're lying to him. In fact, they do it in the name of God, they say. How many times have we heard that and we've seen it, that liars, people don't even realize they're doing it, but they lie about their faith. I can remember meeting the Moonies in the, uh, Long Island, uh, New York. And uh, when, <clears throat> when I was out there, and they would say that they believed in the same Jesus I did. And that, that all they had to do is, I had to do is just come with them to your sung young moon and everything would be fine. They were lying and they were deceiving. And it's so easy for that to infiltrate. We see it right now. That's why we're leaving our denomination because people have bought into the world's view and not into the biblical view. And because of that, we have to leave. It's not that we want to leave. It's because we have to leave. Because what is going on now is not pleasing to God's sight. And it's a lie that is promoted. And the tragedy of it all is the young people that are involved and that buy into this kind of thing, they're being deceived in the world. And so we need to, pro- we need to proclaim the news. I had a situation this past week or two weeks ago, where a guy was claiming that he was a chaplain for the Wichita Police Department, and he was not. And he was lying to the officers, and he was lying to the people who owned the shop, and they had to come in and arrest him, because he was lying. He was deceiving. For what motive, we don't know. But there he was. And so Joshua buys into the blunder. Look at what happens here. Then the... So then, so the men of Israel took some of the provisions and did not ask counsel from the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Here Joshua buys it. And notice what it says here. They didn't ask the Lord's counsel. They didn't pray about it. They didn't consult the prophets. No, they just went and did it. Because they were following these superficial things. They saw their clothing. They saw the food. They saw the moldy bread. And they bought into the sly. And they made a covenant of peace with these folks. And they didn't exercise their faith. And when we leave God out of the picture. Let me tell you something. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to become deceived. And to not going to God. I can remember going into the gym at my college. One of the things it says, mensana mensola. And what it means, sound body, sound mind. And we need to have the same discipline in our lives that not only do we...
we take care of our bodies, but even more, take care of our souls. And that we take a time of the day and we spend it with God because you don't know what temptation you're going to be facing. You don't know what challenge you're going to be facing. And God may even reveal to you or give you something in his word that will help you as you go through that day and that agenda that's been set for you. And how easy it is to slip and to follow the world's way rather than God's way in your life. And what happens is that's when we begin to fall. And we slip and that we slide. And Joshua does that with his princes. They wind up listening to these guys and making an oath. This oath was going to come with something binding. You know, you know as well as I do, when you commit a sin and you complete a blunder, you look back at it and say, what could I be thinking? Why did I do that? And it's because we really didn't think it through. And, and we went with our heart or we went with our emotions, went with our feelings rather than going with the truth of God's word. And we wind up finding ourselves in a deep hole because we didn't take the time to set our heart right. You know, if you set your heart right in the morning with the Lord, there are things that you're going to not do because you set it right. You calibrated yourself with the Lord. If you don't calibrate yourself with the Lord, you're going to find yourselves falling into stuff in this world that you never intended to be in. And that once you step into the water, James says... And you put that other thing in, at first you're feeling pretty good because the water's cool and you're having a great time. But all of a sudden, of the river picks you up and it's going to take you somewhere where you never wanted to be. It's going to hurt people that you never wanted to hurt. It's going to destroy your own character and conviction if you go with it. And this is what happened with Joshua. Him and his princess made this pact with this guy and now they're in it for the long haul. And you know what's interesting about this whole thing is that even when we make mistakes, God makes wonderful things out of it. The sons of Israel did not strike them down because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders of the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord and the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. And what happens is they made this covenant, and now they're in it. This is one thing about God. When God makes a covenant with his people, when God commits to somebody, this is the way we should be as Christians. When we make a commitment or a covenant with somebody, we should be there all the time. Because this is the way God is. And it's not some superficial thing. It's something that we're there for the long haul, that we're going to be in business with them, and that we're going to stay firm to our convictions and follow it through. Today, we don't see that. We as Christians need to be more showing that in our whole lives and to showing that we stand by our word, and yet we don't see that anymore. We find people not following the law anymore. We're seeing shoplifting at a whole new level. Because people don't make a commitment to the, to the world. Who's going to cost and who's going to pay for that thing that's been shoplifted? We are. We all are. You see, they don't have any convictions in their hearts. And when we don't have on in our own lives as Christians, what does the world say? How easy it is to be deceived when common sense doesn't make right anymore. People do that all the time. Joshua made a treaty with the Gibeonites. And the first thing that happens, he has to go to war with them and for them. The assembly grumbled, grumbled because they bought into that and now it was going to cost them to have to fight. And what a wonderful thing, though, we find out here that God is merciful and that even when we screw up, even when we make mistakes like Joshua did and we realize it and we come before him and we confess it, God can take that ugly thing in our lives 
and make a beautiful thing out of it. I had a friend that went to bed with a girl when he was in high school. She had a baby from it. And he felt so foolish, so stupid. And he wondered how God was going to make this work. The family that he had had convictions. They weren't going to turn away that girl. They weren't going to ask her to get an abortion. No, they were going to follow through. Even if he didn't, they were going to follow through with the conviction that it is partly their child and grandchild. And they were going to do what was necessary. And here he is now, 30 years later, and can't believe what a beautiful child she has become. And what a blessing to his life. Even though he didn't marry the girl that he got pregnant, God brought a blessing into it. And see, that's the way God does it. If, even if we fall and we commit sin and we finally repent and go to God, he can turn some of the most tragic and ugly things into beautiful things for his glory. God can do that. And so here we see the blessings that came for Joshua. Even the stupid mistake that he made. He was probably sitting there, what was I thinking when I made that decision? Why didn't I consult the God? Beating himself up brutally. And sometimes when we finally figure out the mistake we made, it's too late. But here's the beautiful thing about it with God. It's never too late. God can heal the sickest situation, the wrong that you've ever done in your life, and he can fix it if you go to him and you trust him and that you put it before him. He can fix it. Even when you figure it out later on, he can take care of it for you. The Gibeonites, dishonest, lying. They get this covenant, and now what does Joshua do? He upholds it because he made it in the Lord God, and so he's going to fight for them, even though they don't deserve it. This is God's grace. This is God's mercy. He made a mistake. He asked for forgiveness. But God then, with that, God took these Gibeonites. And even though he had to deal with Fighting for them because that's a consequence. You know, there are consequences to the things that we do. That God will forgive us, but sometimes he doesn't take away the consequences. Joshua had to go now fight for the Gibeonites. And I don't think he really wanted to do that. But because he made the covenant in God, he was going to do that. And when we make a mistake and we bring it before the Lord, here he is now going to do it. And what a blessing the Gibeonites became. The Gibeonites all of a sudden became working with the priest. And they were serving the priest. And they were near to watching the sacrifice and the blood. And they became believers. The Gibeonites helped with the worship. And watching all that went on at the altar and they became believers. And what is interesting is they were a huge mess, but God helped him. Even though he had consequences from his failure, God fixed it. In Joshua chapter 21, Gideon is named into the Levitical priest housing district, and they housed the priest. And Gideon was a place where the priest stayed, and they brought worship to it. A blessing for Israel. In 2 Samuel, during David's reign, 400 years later, Saul goes off the deep end and starts slaying Gibeonites. And he stopped. And Israel is given five, uh, three years of famine because he laid his hands on the Gibeonites that God had given them that covenant through Joshua. Nobody was to lay hands on them. God even had his protection 400 years later on the Gibeonites because he's true to his word. And in Chronicles, David has this Gibeonite as one of his fiercest warriors in his pact. And we see also in Nehemiah, 
They are carted off with the Israelites. And who comes back? Ninety-five Gibeonites go back to rebuild Israel. You see, this is God's working. And what He can take the ugly sins that we make in our lives, and He can change them by His grace and mercy and make them great things in our lives. Francis Schaeffer put it this way, when the land was divided, Gibeon was one of the cities which was given to Aaron, and it became a special place where God was known and worshipped. In fact, even when Saul made a... 400, 400 years later, when he took the Ark of the Covenant and, 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 and or David took back the Ark of the Covenant after Saul lost it. David brought it back. And where did he take it? He took it to Gibeon, where Adonijah was there. And that they kept it there because it was a safe place and they knew it would be cared for because the Gibeonites were there. You see, this is the way God works. God can take our failures and make them good things and become blessings. God can take our sin and make it pure through his blessed sacrifice on the cross. And then the battle begins. Joshua. Now it came about that Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard of Joshua, had captured Ai. And utterly destroyed it, and just as he had done to Jericho and its king, and so had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel, and were there within their land, so that the five Amorite kings combined the armies for the united attack, and they moved all their troops into the place and attacked Gibeon. And what happens is they, they start going after Gibeon. And because of the pact that Joshua made, the covenant, Gibeon sends a runner to Joshua, 25 miles away, late at night, and says, they're going to attack me in the morning. And Joshua gets the troops together and they go all night. They skip their sleep and they go to fight these five kings' armies. And Joshua finds the kings held in a, a, a little cave and he shuts it up with stone so they can't get out. And then he battles them. And notice what Joshua had done battles, single battles. Now he's fighting five kings. And God says to Josh and he reinforces what he said to Josh many years earlier when they were starting this Canaanite adventure. Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear them. For I will give them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. Not one of them. God gives him this powerful promise. And that even in the mistake that he made, and now he's doing the consequence of it. And he's battling not one king, but five kings. God affirms to him, don't worry about it. I've got this battle as he did with Jericho and as he did with Ai and beat them. So I'm going to do this for you. And the first thing that happens, you know, sometimes God brings us into those moments, doesn't he? Those dark moments. I can imagine Joshua thinking, five kings, five armies, five kingdoms. How are we going to do this? And God reaffirms him. You see, sometimes we go through those dark moments ourselves. Think about the dark. I used to work for Eastman Kodak and we had these rooms that were completely dark and they had a red light on. You could see a little. But that's where they were developing the film. And in those dark rooms, you couldn't turn the light on. If I would have turned the light on, I would have gone probably to jail and would have been fired immediately. But we'd have to work in the dark as they were developing the film. And what God does with us, sometimes he puts us in a dark room. We don't like it. We can't see very well. We don't know how it's going to work out. But God puts us in that dark room. And we're questioning and we're struggling and we're going through that difficult time. Think of these soldiers who stayed up all night and to get to the battle. And then they're going to have a battle full royale. They're tired. They're frustrated. Well, because their, their leaders made this pact with this group of people. And yet what does God do? He gives them the victory. And like that, Joshua was in his dark room, though. He was told that he was going to be victorious, but he was still struggling. 
And what God does is that finally, when the time comes, He turns the light on. Like you would in a dark room and you have these developed pictures that are beautiful. And that's what God does in your life. He puts you sometimes in those dark rooms, those circumstances, those situations, so that you can do the work. By faith, go deeper with Him in the darkness and that He can take you and at His time, bring you out into the light so He can expose Jesus Christ in your life. That's what He wants to do. Don't miss out on the opportunity. That's what God wants for your life. He wants you to grow deeper in Christ. And He wants you, even though you're going through a trial that He's put you in, even though He may go through something that frustrates you, or a disappointment. God is doing it to develop you. And when the obstacles come, obstacles come, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we throw in the towel and we go do something so totally opposite of who we are. Because we weren't thinking. We weren't considering God. We were thinking our own selfish needs. And not trusting God in that dark moment. Or we question Him. We wonder what he's doing. And instead, we need to look to him and let him develop his nature in us. Apostle Paul, how many times he was in prison? He was held in these dark dungeons. He was in pain with his arthritis and all the beatings that he received. And what was he doing? Was he complaining to God why he threw him in there? No. He was grateful for the rest and he was writing the New Testament that we have before us in the darkness of his life. Because he didn't consider it darkness. Because he knew God was doing something in him and he was. He was giving us the New Testament. And in those dark moments, God can develop things. In the mistakes that we make, he can develop great things in our lives. And at this point, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them to you. He's resting on what God says. And notice what happens. He not only gives them victory over one king, but five kings. Over five armies. Over five kingdoms. Joshua is given by God a powerful message to us. To let us know and, and to see that Joshua didn't have to do them one at a time. He got them all in one shot. He was saving Joshua time. He gives them the victory. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. And when we see what he does, it's incredible. First, the Bible says, And the Lord confounded them before Israel. He slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And pursued them by the way of the accents of Beth Hor. And struck them as, as a Dedek and Mekeba. And what he does. There's a great slaughter. And notice what it says. In the King James it's, it says they routed them. But in the New English translation they're talking about God confounds them, confuses them. Joshua coming in the middle of the night got them all haywire. They're killing each other. They're destroying each other. And not only does God bring this confusion on them. But then also the Bible says to us that he then starts throwing rock at them. Big stone. You know, we get hailstones, you know, six-inch hailstones, pretty bad. These are rocks. And the Lord confounded them, and the great slaughter came. And then it says, and they fled from before Israel. And while they were in descent of Bethor, they're coming down the mountain. The Lord threw large stones from heaven on them, as far as Ezedek. As and, and they died. And they were more than died from the hailstones than those who the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So God is killing more people than they're able to kill with their own swords. That's what God does. He's bringing deliverance to the children of Israel. He's powerful enough to change this all. And he throws, even though they're outnumbered, God can change that all. And then look what it says in the next verse. In John chapter 12. And there's a lot of people who struggle with this. And Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, O moon in the valley of Ajanon. So the sun stood still 
And the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves for the enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did hasten to go down for about a whole day. This is troubling to some people because what they see here is they say this is against the law of physics. And we ask ourselves, what is physics? The laws of physics are just observations of what we've observed that takes place continuity-wise and continuous-wise and that are done every day. But who made them? Who caused those laws? Those laws are just observation of what God put this world in. And that God is not breaking those laws. Those miracles that God creates just changes things because God can change it. He has the power to do it. For instance, if you have a ball and you throw it up in the air, it's going to come down. Why? Because we believe in the law of gravity. And it's right. But if you were to go up in space and change the atmosphere, what would happen? It wouldn't come down. It'd be floating. And God is the change agent. He does that in many things. People say, how could he have changed and stopped this earth? The earth moves a thousand miles per hour at the equator. It goes around the sun 67,000 miles a day. How could he stop all that? They make the argument, which is an interesting argument. They say, it's like driving in your car at 70 miles an hour with a whole bunch of stuff behind you, stacked, not tied down. And you hit the brakes and everything comes flying at you. That's what it would have been on the earth if God stopped the earth. How could that be? God can do it because he has the power and he's able to change and make a miracle. And Inherit the Wind in 1990, a movie that came out, they were trying to make fun of Joshua and say that God couldn't do that. How could he do that? It breaks the laws of physics. And they're annoyed. But science only sees what God has already done. They don't know the power that God that put it in there. And he can change the dynamics. That's how great he is. Because that's the great God that we serve. And what he did in six days. Creating this earth. That he had a group of people go through the Red Sea. Another group of people went through the Jordan River. That Jesus did miracles. That defy the laws of physics. But here's the power. That God did it. We don't know how. He's a mystery. He's got the power to do it. However, at the end of the movie, the, the lawyer, who's supposed to be the star of the show and inherit the wind, he asks a very interesting question. He said, how did the world miss this tidbit of news item that the earth stopped? That's a valid question. But then... He didn't look hard enough at history. The Greek historian, 400 years before Christ, found hieroglyphics in an Egyptian tomb that spoke about a day that was worth two days long. That the Chinese spoke about a day in their Emperor Yo's writings Days of Joshua, where the sun stood still for them for 24 hours. And on the other side of the world, the Aztecs, they found in their writings, the ancient Indian cultures of North America, a long night, which would make sense if the day is staying day, it's night over here, and it's a two-night experience. You see, there is evidence there. 
We need to look. We don't know how God did it. There's a lot of things that God does and does, and we don't know. They're mysteries. But we know that he can do it. God included this for us to know his power and his might. And people try to explain away miracles because you know why? They don't have a big enough God. C.S. Lewis said that about Protestants who don't believe in miracles or Catholics, Christians, who say they don't believe in the miracles of God. What they have done, he says, is they have relapsed from Christianity to religion. Because that's all it will be then is a bunch of other rules and regulations. That's not our God. He's a powerful, intimate, relational God with us. And that God can do it. And what Joshua then does, after he gets the extra day to finish everything up, he wanted this battle done with and these five nations done over. And he asked the Lord for that and they stop so that he can finish it. And then afterwards they have a ceremony. Put up the rocks and guess they pull out the kings from the caves and they slaughter them. And they hang them out to dry to let everyone know that God is the God of all and Lord of all. He is the only God that's true and everlasting. And he puts them on the ground in, their, in his victory. And he takes the courses and hangs them out so that all the peoples of the earth can see it. And they pile stones upon one another and say, The Lord, the earth is the Lord's footstool. He can do whatever he wants. You see, this is the question it's asking us today. There's a lot of things we can learn in this passage today. I picked out five of them. Number one is, how big is your God? How big is your, I should say, your view of God? Is it like David in Psalm 115 where he says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He can overcome the laws of physics. He's bigger than that because he's created it. He can do whatever he wants. And we shouldn't fear him, but adore him. The one who caused the world to come into being. This is the God that we serve. But the second thing is his grace. As he did with a harlot by the name of Rahab, who put her faith in God, and saved her. So he can take the Gibeonites. Who were cheats and liars and deceptive. To Joshua. And yet God can forgive them. And made covenant with them. And worked in their lives. It's like us in Ephesians chapter 2. That's who we are. We're right there with Rahab and the Gibeonites. We're all sinners. In Ephesians 2, it says, Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, excluded outside with the commonwealth of Israel. And we were strangers to these covenants of promise that God has made in Jesus Christ. We had no hope. Without God in this world. We're sinners. We're dying and going to hell. He says here. And then he says. He brings us God's greatness. He brings us God's grace. But now. In Christ. You who were formerly were far off. Have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. He's brought us into his family. Even when we mess up, he still covenants with us and he's still committed to forgive us and to fix our foolishness and our sin and make us anew and give us eternal life. And that we need to remember as Christians, even though we have this wonderful forgiveness, 
You see, it's because God covenanted with us. And it's forever. Look at what he says in Hebrews. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise. The unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. It says that God says, I don't change. And I have given myself for you in Christ. And we have covenanted together. And if you gave your life to Christ, I have that covenant. And it's an eternal covenant. It's an oath that I made that I will never break. Because look in verse 18, he says, So that by the two unchangeable things, the oath and the unchangeable purposes of God, things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he can never lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So what he's saying is that we've been forgiven. God will never toss you out. And that you can have this wonderful life and he wants to repair the mistakes that you made. He wants to fix it. And that we need to be very careful, as this passage shows us, that when things are easy, it's very easy for us to slip. It's very easy for us to move away and not give him the time and not to listen to him and to realize the hope that we have in what he gives us through the law. And that our mistakes don't need to penalize us forever. That they are buried in the depths of the sea of Christ's blood and forgiven and we still held by his covenant. And they don't need to defeat us, but rather bring us victory. And that we can have a hope that is sure that no one can ever take away. And that we finally also can bring to him all our sin, our sadness. He can bring into our life his will and the joy. He can restore our joy in our hearts as we come to him. And as we come to him taking the time to pray. Friends, take time to pray. Spend a lot of time on your knees before him. Receive his power in your life every day because there is so much out there that just wants to pull you and destroy you and take away from you. And God's power can protect you from that. And that's why we cry to him and we come to him. You know, just before VE Day, I was reading this story about this fellow who was from New Jersey. And he wrote his mom. And he wrote his mom because he was part of the 3rd Army, which was General Patton's army. And he had a platoon of 50 that they would go scout out the Germans. And look what the Germans had to do. And one day they began, they got detected and they were backed up against the wall. And those 50 men were scared to death because they were way outnumbered. And they got together with this fellow by the name of Tom, who was known to be a pretty religious guy and prayed a lot. And they asked him to pray and they got on their faces and prayed to God that they can, God would intervene and save all their lives because they know they were going to be shredded on that hill. And at that point, a fog rolled in. A fog. <laughs> a fog rolled in that the Germans couldn't see him. And their observers couldn't see him. And here they were able to slip away. All 50 of them, not one of them hurt. And found a little town with a church in it and they got on their knees together and thanked God for delivering them you see our God that's the way he is he's a God who loves you 
He wants your best. He wants to bring from the hurt and the sadness. He wants to heal it and make you new. Because he's got a covenant with you that lasts forever. And no one can take it away. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today, we come before you and we're so thankful for you and your love. And that, Lord, we thank you that you take some of our mistakes, our sins, the difficulties in our lives, and you can fix them and you can make them new. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you. Help us to lay ourselves before you and help us not to get confused. Help us not to fall into other people's traps, but help us to trust in you fully. Jesus, we give ourselves right now to you and we ask you, Christ, help us as we move forward today in your power and in your strength and to be victorious every day. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and receive the benediction and let's sing our closing song. As Joshua was told by God, be strong and be courageous.